Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The snow has all but disappeared and the world has returned to almost normality as we enter the first week of February. We still don't have a plan, of course, for leaving the European Union, but hopefully we will have soon. There's lots of people working on it, and some people have even gone over to Brussels today. There was more hysteria over the weekend from the Romaniacs with even the Sunday Times joining in with a bizarre tale about the royal family being evacuated if there were riots because of a no-deal Brexit. I'm wondering uh, if the lunatics have taken over the asylum uh, over at the headquarters of News UK. Uh, we'll find out later on, perhaps last week, uh, they were saying there was going to be martial law in the streets of this country. Meanwhile, we'll be finding out precisely why no-one can agree on whether Nissan's decision not to make a car in Sunderland has anything to do with the European Union. As ever, we will bring you all the unvarnished truths, unlike any other broadcasting outlet you can watch or listen to. 03444991000 is the number you need uh, to get in touch with me. First up, though, we're talking crime and punishment. Justice Secretary David Gork has just announced changes to the parole system which should help to stop a repeat of the John Warboys fiasco when the mass rapist was very nearly released back into the community after being ruled to be no longer a danger to women. It was clearly a mistake and thanks to the bravery of two individual women who had been victims he was not in fact released but no thanks to David Gork and I don't think these new reforms are going to make a jot of difference. We'll hear from you on that one as well. 03444991000. Also coming up a little bit later on we'll be asking for your road rage stories. It turns out one in Five people have now been threatened with violence or been involved in a violent incident as a result uh, of something that's happened while they were driving in their cars, while they were walking on the street, while uh, they were cycling around as well. Plus, we'll be finding out why one particular cleaning cloth is sending people insane. It's called a minky, uh, and I don't really know what else to say. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, if you are on social media of any kind, particularly Twitter, uh, you will have seen all weekend this ridiculous row going backwards and forwards. And I don't know when this is going to end, by the way. Uh, people who want to leave the European Union, arguing with people who want to stay in it, basically all blaming one another and telling each of uh, uh, the opposing side that no, 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 no. Uh, Nissan, of course, are pulling out of Sunderland because they can't build a car here because of Brexit. Well, that's not true. Let's talk to James Max, who's, of course, the early breakfast presenter here at Talk Radio, former investment banker. James, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Now, why are there so many truths to stories these days? I mean, I'm quite perplexed as to why so many otherwise normally quite sensible people are just pumping out propaganda and pretending that it's news. I think this is because whenever a decision is made by business, there are probably lots of reasons why something is done. But also, people like to try and find a convenient reason that cannot be argued against in order to talk about their own business strategy. The reality for Nissan is that the X-Trail car is largely a diesel motor vehicle. Yes. If you have a look at the stats on diesel, we in Western Europe and America have trashed diesel as a source of energy. 30% is the slump in decline of orders of vehicles which are powered by diesel, and we're going to see that increase because there's so much hostility from governments, mm. particularly, but also environmental groups and various others, and they've become the social pariah. You cannot buy a diesel vehicle, and then the only excuse you as an individual can have 
uh, for buying one is it was cheap. <laughs> so if you're, you know, if you want to get away with that, then that's fine. But a lot of people are not buying diesels, and those who are tend to be um, sort of forced into doing so because it's corporate agreements or it's various other things. So. When it comes to making a new plant and you're going to be powering, you've got to try and find somewhere where it's going to be close to uh, the markets that you're going to be selling. And right. if diesel is becoming more and more uh, sort of difficult, you don't want to be making it in a market and then have to ship it across the other side of the world to where they are going to sure. buy it. But I've become much more acutely aware, funnily enough, because I used to always poo-poo any suggestion that newspapers and, and other media were in any way biased. But I'm actually now seeing it. I'm seeing, you know, reports being written on certain websites and on certain uh, newspaper forums and all of that, um, which are clearly written in a way as to make you believe the, 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 the one thing rather than another. You know, I, I read the, the first, I think the first Nissan story I read was on the Sky uh, News app, and it talks about, you know, the uncertainty of Brexit. And then somewhere halfway down the story... It said, of course, you know, this will not be a cause of the loss of any jobs in Sunderland because this car is not being made here anyway. Uh, it was just something they were thinking of doing in the future, which kind of puts to bed, I would have thought, any, any Brexit-related problems, isn't it? Well, I think the thing is that when we're thinking about um, manufacturers, of course you want them to do more stuff in your country. And you're absolutely right to say Nissan are still a manufacturing base here in the UK. They're not talking about anything that they're making at the moment. This is about something that was already being made in Japan. They were thinking about do we need to have a different uh, factory in order to make more of these vehicles? And, and then the simple answer to that is, well, if you've got diminishing demand, you probably don't want to be tooling up a whole new production line with something that is not going to be selling in that local market. But on the other hand, if you want to be making some noise and perhaps getting further inducements, so Nissan, for example, they've already had some cash from the government and they'd probably like more. And we are perhaps looking at the industry that is most impacted by Brexit. Because if, say, for example, you've got a vehicle that has all these gazillions of components which go backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards to different places, then inevitably tariffs affect them probably more than anything else. Maybe uh, the only other industry that's uh, as effective is, uh, affected is um, the aeronautical yeah, industry right. where, and, and defence, where there's an enormous amount of products and bits and pieces that go into these things backwards and forwards. So, of course, their supply chains may very well be disrupted by Brexit. Does it mean that they can't make things here in the UK? rubbish well indeed of course they can but i mean that's an interesting aspect to the story as well because the times this morning has got nissan facing losing 60 million quid uh, from the government in terms of funding because the idea was that we would give them that money in order to expand their business in this country rather than not to expand it if you get my meaning well, exactly. And let's not also forget Nissan's other problems, which uh, uh, their, their former boss, Carlos Ghosn, who uh, was the chief executive of uh, Renault and the president of mm. Renault, and then he was part of this alliance. And they, you know, all the political stuff that's been going on there, because suddenly the Japanese are thinking, hang on a second, do we really want our major car manufacturer to be taken over by the French? Mm, no, not really. Right. So there's all of that going on at the same time. So mm. decision-making processes, when it comes to... Japan and trying to keep control of their company and their cars, the more cars that they make in Japan, the more control that they have in their business back in Japan, the more that they can put their senior executives back in control. So we are just one small cog in part of it. 
Can Brexit be uh, identified as an issue? Of course it can. It would be foolish of Remainers or Brexiteers or anybody to say it isn't a factor. But it is one of many, many factors, and probably quite low down the list, I would suggest. Well, exactly, because it makes for very strange bedfellows, all this pro- and anti-European business, because you would imagine, for example, Sadiq Khan, the Mayor of London, who's very much against pollution, very much against you even having a a wood-burning stove in your house, never mind a diesel pickup truck to drive around London in. You know, you'd think he would be singing from the rooftops. Isn't it great news, you know, this horrible polluting car is not going to be built in our country. They're going to build it somewhere else. Hopefully, we'll never import any. That's what he should be saying. But instead of that, uh, he's saying that it's terrible that they're moving out of Britain. (laughs) Well, the thing is, of course, they're not moving out of Britain. No, I know. And this is what is so frustrating about many of our politicians, is that they seem not to grasp what we need to do in this country in order to make ourselves attracted to business. And it's not about Brexit, no Brexit. It's actually about just giving certainty. Businesses will make decisions as soon as they know what the rules are. And they want to make sure that those rules are not going to change against them. And also that it's a really um, friendly environment to business, which means that they get good staff that they have good uh, relationships with their staff and they're not uh, shackled by too many regulations and rules which go over and above where where else they could perhaps operate in the world with less shackles, that they're not going to be too expensive, Mm. that they can increase their productivity, that they can export well, that they've got a low tax base, uh, that they've got good research and development incentives through taxation systems, that they've got a level tax playing field and they're not going to be treated unfairly. All of those things which seem to have gone out of the window when it comes to dealing with uh, the aspects of how do we make ourselves a really exciting and vibrant place to do business has gone totally out the window by all of our politicians of all sides and they just made it more difficult to operate more expensive to operate and they don't seem to be thinking about the future in any shape or form other than their own seats and their own self-interest no quite and what about the uh, the, the noises that are coming out of the boardrooms of the city i don't mean just the financial firms but but everybody really are you hearing the same message if you like from uh, from most businesses who who, who just basically basically want it uh, to be done. The message, I think, is very straightforward, which is the delay and political infighting has caused more damage than any aspect of whether we leave the European Union or not. And then the second point is that the complete lack of discussion about what makes for a really good economic policy. And the fact that for example, you can have John McDonald, the shadow chancellor, coming out with all sorts of policies that would be deeply damaging for people's jobs, for the economy, for uh, all sorts of aspects, mm. regardless of your political views. It would be such a change and so different from pretty much any of our neighbours that that would have a bigger impact than anything that Brexit may or may not bring to us. So yeah. I think what people are saying is, look, please, let's have certainty and also let's look at where else business is really being disrupted at the moment. Number one is technology. Let's stop seeing these huge giants of technology as um, companies that we cannot engage with and companies that we cannot regulate in any shape or form. We have to level the playing field. This is why we're seeing destruction up and down our high streets. This is why we're seeing people not making decisions because they don't have certainty. And, And the tax system itself is right heart and centre. And we've got no politician of any side other than a few saying, oh, let's put tax up. Nobody's saying reform is necessary to make ourselves an exciting and vibrant place to do business. And for an individual point of view, you, me, all of us who work, let's put back the incentives for hard work and doing well.
Well, I've often said, and I keep saying it, that really the government have been horrendously bad at promoting Brexit. Uh, Boris Johnson was once uh, said to have described Theresa May's attitude to Brexit as like dealing with a disaster rather than dealing with, you know, a forward-looking kind of, you know, uh, revolution, if you like, in, in business and in society and all sorts of things, right? So she's not, instead of going out there and telling everybody what's going to be great about it, she's kind of trying to not let people get too disappointed by what she's doing. I think that's partly because, I, I think going back to uh, Ronald Reagan, who said, if you're explaining, you're losing. And the point about so many aspects of international trade are mm. that they are horrendously complicated. Yeah. So therefore, in order to explain the benefits of putting in this particular tariff or that particular set of rules and guidelines and trying to explain the benefits of free trade and how much trade we do elsewhere in the world and the fact that trade is a little bit like water in a bath, it'll always find its level once the rules and regulations are in place, Politicians seem to find it really difficult to look ahead and seem to find it really difficult to explain what is exciting about um, the policies that they can bring in. Because, again, they're so short term that you know, it takes 10, 15, 20 years for all these things to come uh, to the fore and come to bear that we're still uh, whether benefiting or indeed perhaps paying for uh, the decisions that both Margaret Thatcher and Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and various others made in years gone by because it takes a long time to work through the system. So for politicians, they really should be looking right ahead and saying, this is where Britain needs to be, branding Britain so that we understand where we're going, so that people understand what they're dealing with when they come to us in terms of integrity and brains and, and brain power and uh, inventive um, ideas and hard work and all these good things, we're not selling it at all, and we need to. Right, I couldn't agree with you more. James, thank you very much indeed. Independent Republic of Mike Graham, you know what to do. 03444991000 is the number. Steve says, Mike, it's time victims of crime were listened to as much as the criminals are uh, by those bleeding heart liberal do-gooders. Well, I think there's an awful lot of people that would have that same view uh, because the problem is, as I said earlier to uh, our barrister guest, the problem that you know the people who work on parole boards think that they are kind of above the law. They think that they are so kind of clean and so untouched by the ghastly general population that they can make these decisions because they're not in any way looking for revenge they're not in any way trying to punish anyone that they have this incredibly sort of you know futuristic belief that all criminals can in fact be uh, rehabilitated john warboys let me tell you cannot be rehabilitated he is a ghastly manipulative individual who is violent towards women uh, who enjoys sexually assaulting and raping women and who will continue to do so uh, as long as he is allowed to the idea that he can come out of prison and not be uh, in any way like that is a complete and utter nonsense. I don't care how many psychiatrists you talk to, this guy uh, should be kept in for the rest of his life. And I think he probably will be because no minister wants to release this guy because imagine what would happen and how there would be hell to pay if he was released and in fact then committed further crimes. That would be absolutely disgraceful and any government that allowed that to happen, in my view, uh, would have to resign uh, en masse. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number. You can keep calling us, of course. We'll keep taking your calls throughout 
throughout uh, the show this morning from uh, now until one o'clock. Richard Maidley uh, is in for Matthew Wright, who's taking some well-earned time off to spend it uh, with his newborn baby, believe it or not. Uh, lots, lots more of you want to tweet us as well. You can tweet us at Talk Radio and at IROMG. Right now, though, I'm delighted to say I'm going to speak to my very good friend, Mr Grant Harold, former Royal Butler, friend of the show. Uh, he's going to tell us about cleaning cloths. Grant, a very good morning to you. Good morning, sir. Uh, uh, what what can I say? <laughs> well, I mean, imagine my surprise when I read this story. I read it sort of late yesterday afternoon. Mm. Uh, something I'd never heard of up until now. I mean, I've heard of microfiber cloths. I think I've got a few, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure I bought them in, say, a Poundland or somewhere for not very much money. These ones in question are called minky cloths, right? Mm. They've been recommended by some influencer on Instagram, um, and they're exchanging hands on eBay for 500 quid a time. This is what I can't go over. And when I, like you, I mean, when I heard of minky cloth, I thought it was some sort of skin condition. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand. Look, we all have certain things that we like to use in our homes when it comes to cleaning. Hmm. And as far as sponges or cloths go, it's a personal thing. But why on earth would you want to spend several thousand? Are they, have they got gold and diamonds in well, them or something? you may well ask. I mean, apparently, because they've been mentioned by this woman mm-hmm. uh, who is a, a very famous influencer on Instagram, mm-hmm. who I've also never heard of, known as Mrs Hinch. No, I, I goes, haven't until apparently now. Apparently goes around giving advice on how to clean your house properly. Mm-hmm. This seems to be all the rage at the moment. There must be people out there... Grant, uh, and this may not surprise you, who don't actually know how to do anything. No, I, I mean, what, what amazes me is, is social media is very powerful. Yeah. I, I was on this conversation at the weekend. I, I've got, obviously, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all the rest of it, uh, and it's really interesting. I Sometimes I put tweets out, etiquette advice or mm. guidance or whatever, and, and sometimes they become very old-fashioned rules and people have got very strong views. I love the discussion that they have. And they reach over, well, one I did recently reached over 4 million. Now, that is amazing. Then people come up to me and they'll, they, they'll say, oh, I know you, and I think they're going to say they've seen me on a television show right. or maybe on a radio show. No, it's because of social media. And uh-huh. I thought, this shows you the power that social media has got. And this lady, obviously, has promoted this to her, her following and for whatever reason they've all suddenly gone I mean I wonder if she's got shares in it or something because... Well I mean this is the thing I mean only recently and I know this just because we've covered it here on Talk Radio recently um, these influencers were told that they had to now be much more honest and declare mm. whether they were being paid or endorsed by any particular uh, commercial organisation I don't know whether I don't know whether she is in this case I don't think so um, because what's also happened apparently now is that Morrisons who ran out of all of these uh, cloths yeah. have now restocked them but when you go and buy one uh, you're only allowed to buy uh, no more than two because of because of the black market oh fantastic so when i go later on to get mine <laughs> i'll remember i can only get two yeah well, well you have to go with a few people and make sure that they all buy two each and then you'll end up getting 20 or something it's crazy isn't it i mean can i ask what's wrong with just a normal cloth this yeah don't get why can't you just pop into the local superstore and get some cloth i mean unless there's something really magical and i've spent 20 odd years as a butler cleaning homes, understanding about different products, and there's nothing better than the good old-fashioned cloth and some soapy water. Yes. I mean, do you, I mean, I remember when J-cloths came out, and that was yes. kind of revolutionary, because yes. it was like, is it a cloth? Is mm. it a piece of paper? Is it a paper towel? Mm. You know, what is it? And, I mean, I don't even know if you can still get those, can you? I don't, I, I, again, not sure. But, I mean, with the courses that I do, people are always saying to me, the students will say, you know, what's the best things to use? And I get the old-fashioned, the old kind of, 
kind of books on cleaning from 30, 40 years ago uh, with some great methods. Mm. I mean, some of them are not practical um, today and some of them, the things you can't use. But there's other things in there that, that do work and I've tried them. You know, I've tried all sorts of different techniques and they do work. And, okay, you need to put a bit more elbow grease in yeah. it. But at least we've got these, most of these things we've got in our homes and why on earth are we going to go and start spending several thousand? I don't understand. Well, I, I assume there's, there's, no, there's no sort of substitute for cleaning, polishing the family silver. You just no. have to polish it with silver polish. You can't. Exactly. There's no shortcut for that, is there? Well, um, there is one or two kind of um, tricks that you oh, can really? use. Yeah, yeah. There's one or two um, which also involves um, some soda crystals and tin foil and things oh, that yeah. can help. Uh, you put them in a bucket of water, and that can help get remove oh, some of the tarnish. But I still prefer the good old-fashioned silver dip and the the, the 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 foam if you can find the foam. Yes, it's got a particular smell. It seems to me. I mean, it has. I don't have that much family silver, I have to say. <laughs> Uh, but there was a time when I did. But I'm looking at this minky cloth, right? And it says mm. it's an antibacterial cleaning pad. It looks almost like an oven glove. Um, it says great for washing up and wiping down. Non-scratch mm. technology. And I have to say, um, it's also by appointment uh, to HRH, the Prince of Wales. Really? So okay. they've got the old uh, Prince of Wales royal feathers on the front as well. Well, I, I think I can safely say I haven't seen him go around using one recently right. or, or in my time with him. Um, but the, the thing is, it doesn't mean to say that the Royal Warrant is obviously quite a, a It's a, a good thing, thing to have, though, isn't it? It's very good to have. It's not easy to get, uh, I'll quickly add. Um, but at the same time, if they've got the Warrant, then obviously someday, somewhere along the line in the household, is obviously uh, using that product. So uh, maybe it has got into the Royal Circles. Who yes. Knows? Well, there's also, I'm looking at the other side, that's what that says, by appointment to HM Queen Elizabeth II, manufacturers oh, wow. okay. of cleaning uh, and uh, something else products, which I can't read. But uh, so they're, they're obviously maybe. doing very well. Maybe they've seen it on Instagram. Maybe yeah. they saw it on Instagram and thought, I want some of those. Now, oh. the other the other breaking news I can bring you, and I know you're absolutely champing the bit for this kind of information, is that uh, apparently bargain store B&M have launched their own version of this. Uh, instead of paying £2.49, you can now get it in there for 67 pence. Oh, what, a B&M? That sounds interesting. Yeah. Like a bike store or something, but that sounds I've never seen B&Ms. I don't know what that is. No, I don't know. <laughs> but apparently it's a, like a sort of Poundland type store. Oh, God, OK, yes, uh, fine. I went into Poundlands for the first time last year and my friend that I was with kept saying to me, everything in here is a pound. Yeah, it's everything. not, right? Well, it well, isn't. No, exactly. You're spot on. I picked up one item and I said to the lady, how much is this? One sixty-five. And yeah, I, was, how do, ah, I don't get that. And no. Surely if you have a shop called Poundland, everything has to be a pound. Exactly. So, so I was very disappointed yeah. I ended up walking back out. Yeah. I go to a place called The Range, uh, yeah. which has opened up in uh, not far from where I live, which I rather like. It's got absolutely everything in there, and it's yeah. really cheap. Anything yeah. you can imagine, particularly kind of, you know, kitchen-type stuff. It's got lamps, you know, cloths. It's got I love, carpets. I love those kind of stores. And you know the traditional hardware store as well? Yeah. A lot of them have gone. Those, uh, there's one of those in my little town in Battle, which is tremendous. You we've can, got you can one. go in there. It's like an Aladdin's cave. Exactly. We've got one here. It's a really nice chap that runs it in Tetbury, and you go in, and it's a tiny little shop, mm. but he's got everything right down to the silver cleaning product. Okay. He's got the, the starch for the starch and the napkins and the linen. I, I love going in there and getting getting things because you can't find them unless you do it online. No, uh, of course. You can't really find them anywhere else. Tremendous. Well, listen, I'm happy we were able to have this update, Grant, and uh, good luck with your following projects coming up, uh, which you can't tell us too much about, obviously, at this time. Uh, Grant Harold, uh, former Royal Butler, uh, he's now available, of course, for teaching you how to be a butler and uh, a couple of cleaning tips for him there. But, I mean, this story is literally unbelievable to me. The idea that people have gone so mad for this particular cloth that cleans 
that you can't get them, that they're in short supply, that you have to now go on eBay and pay some ludicrous amount of money for them. It's mad, isn't it? Does it not tell you what people care about in this country? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, we're going to be talking to David Spencer, uh, who is Talk Radio's news editor as well, because he's got some stories about road rage to tell us, and I've got plenty of stories about road rage. I'm actually very calm these days uh, in a car, uh, but there was a time, probably 10, 15 years ago, when I was a bit younger, uh, when I used to get a bit more wound up. I don't think it's a very good idea to do so now. Let's talk, though, uh, to Ben Darby, who's spokesperson uh, from Auto Trader. They did the survey and found that one in five people recently has had some kind of violent episode or been threatened with some kind of violence because of something that happened while they were driving their car. Uh, Ben, a very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Afternoon, Mike. Now, I mean, we see this all the time, I suppose, so we shouldn't be surprised incredibly, but are you finding that there's more violence out there than there is, you know, not just people getting irritable, but actually people threatening violence? It's difficult to say. I think we all kind of picture UK roads as this almost dystopian, unhappy, uh, quite stressful place. But what's quite alarming with this research is that it's shown in the last year Half of us um, claim to have been a victim of verbal abuse, but an astonishing 10% of us claim to have been in a physical altercation as a result of road rage. Right. That's amazing, isn't it? So presumably that involves something happening, cars being brought to a halt and people jumping out of them. Yeah, I think it is the absolute extreme Mm. of what you could expect, um, you know, from road rage, Um, you know, absolute red mist, um, uncontrollable, you know, temper. And um, I think it's maybe a symptom of a, of a bigger problem on our roads. Mm. And is it involving things other than car drivers? I mean, can you tell by, you know, what sort of vehicle people are in, how more uh, or how much more likely they are to get involved in road rage? I mean, because we, I mean, in London, for example, I always see, if you walk around for long enough, you'll see some kind of altercation between a pedestrian and a cyclist or a cyclist and a, and a car driver uh, or a car driver and a motorcycle. You know, there's, a, there's, there's too many people all trying to share the same space, I think. Yeah, we see it every day, don't we? You know, in in tabloids, you know, or or online on Facebook, we see viral videos of dash cam footage involving incidents between different road users. And I think what we've actually established over time is actually some some big kind of misconceptions or stereotypes of certain types of road user: the white van man, the taxi driver, yeah. you know, the cyclist. The truth is, you know, there's there's good and bad behaviours with every single different type of road user. But I think if we're setting out on our journeys with those stereotypes in our head and making a judgment on somebody before, you know, we've even seen their their actual behaviour on the road, then I think that's probably part of the problem. Yeah, it probably is. But is it also that we just, I mean, I was told some, by somebody much wiser than me about such matters who said one of the problems that people have now driving cars is that everything's instant that we do you know we're on google we're you know we're buying stuff online you know we we, we want to get everything straight away we don't really want to wait for anything so the fact that you now have to wait in a traffic jam is kind of irritating more than it would otherwise have been a few years ago 
Yeah, and I don't think it's anything that's going to change massively no. anytime soon. Um, I mean, if you look at, you know, the way that the roads have changed, pedestrianisation, cycle lanes, I mean, all of these things are being mm. introduced to make the roads a more inclusive place for all different types of road user. What hasn't changed at the same pace is our attitude on the road. Yeah. Um, you know, sat in your car, you know, car, quite a big, heavy thing. I think there are people out there who probably think, you know, I have more rights than you know that person on a yeah. bike or and that's just the way things are and i think this is what well, you know, we're people trying are to angrier now as well though aren't they don't you think i mean i mean in the whole actually, brexit thing without having to bring well, brexit into this conversation but you it, know they're so angry with each other all the time interesting interestingly mike we we found out from this research that 35 percent of road users who agree that road rage is a problem mm. say it's got worse since the eu referendum really yeah See, that's amazing to me. I think people, I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't put it down to Brexit because that would be crazy. But I think people are generally a lot less tolerant of one another. Well, it's the divisive nature of the vote, maybe. And mm. I think the fact that um, it's something which is in the papers, it fills lunchtime conversations every single day at the moment. And, um, and you know, it's not something which is going away. It's on everybody's minds. People are hit, kind of probably sick to the back teeth of talking about it. But um it was a very divisive vote, mm. which split, you know, 50% of the country. Right. And what about the um, the sort of the onset of, as you say, the pedestrianisation of certain cities and, and the problems with, with putting in cycle lanes? I mean, that has frustrated an awful lot of motorists, isn't it? Yeah, and you, you can kind of, you know, look at other European cities where, you know, things, you know, big in- infrastructure projects are working. I suppose, you know, in the UK, especially in cities like london and and manchester Mm. where we're seeing these stats quite amplified in terms of the incidents that are taking place um is an interesting one to look at because you know london you know as an example is kind of further ahead than than other cities in the uk in terms of its infrastructure and you know trialing and testing to Mm. make roads you know more inclusive for all different types of road user um i think the pain points the frictions um you know as as these things develop are are only going to get worse um, so I think the thing that we can probably do to benefit everybody in the in the short term is, you know, challenge those stereotypes and actually just maybe try and be a little bit calmer mm. and, and accept that your journey, um, even though it was, you know, 25 minutes yesterday, it might not be 25 minutes today. Well, it's very dangerous as well, isn't it, to get yourself all worked up while you're behind the wheel of a car because you're likely to do things um, which could result in your death apart from anything else. Exactly. And I think also, if you look at, you know, the 10% who claim to have been in a physical altercation last year, there are very serious legal consequences to that action, um, as well as very serious, um, you know, physical consequences. And, you know, if something is, is driving you to the point of getting out of your car and with the when the red mist descends mm. and actually confronting somebody in the street, I think things have got to a point, at, you know, w- which is unmanageable. And I think, you know, we all need to be a little bit calmer. Yes, indeed. And what should you, I mean, I don't know if you're in the business of giving advice in Auto Trader, but I mean, if you are, say, the victim of something like this, I mean, if somebody comes towards you, stops their car, um, you know, gets out, starts walking towards your car, I mean, what's the best thing to do? I think we've we've heard in our in our research feedback from people who have been, you know, experiencing um, aggressive or confront, confrontational behaviour on the UK roads. People have taken very different kind of ways of responding. Some mm. people very lighthearted, like a, a wave to a middle finger, for instance. Yeah. Um, but I would say if anybody's overly aggressive, I mean, you know, I would I would ignore that. And obviously, if, if things, you know, do well, get that's worse. easy enough to say, but not necessarily to do. If you're sitting in a traffic jam, for example, or they parked oh, yeah, in yeah. front of you. Um, you know, and they're walking towards your car and it looks like they, they, they don't mean to do you anything other than harm. Yeah. Um, are you supposed to just sort of drive off? I mean, what, what do you think? 
I think it all, all depends on on circumstance. It'd be impossible for me to um, yeah, give some some advice for that particular scenario. But um, I think you know, there's a there's there's a point where this crosses into a, a criminal act. Yeah. And a criminal scenario, and you know. We, yeah, I mean, I wonder what point that is. I mean, is is it at the point where you're kind of because I mean, in, in an ordinary sort of street altercation, if you're if you're threatening somebody, um, without actually having hit them or anything like that, that's still an offence, isn't it? As far as I'm aware, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, I wonder if the act of getting out of a car and sort of, you know, squaring up to somebody else is is already an offence. Yeah, possibly, possibly. I've never found myself um, in that scenario, but mm. there's probably been a few scenarios that I've been in where if I hadn't have taken an action of maybe ignoring the situation, yeah. that it probably could have escalated further. So I think you've got to take it, uh, you know, by a case by case basis. Mm. But I think the main thing that's stemming from this is that as you've just made a comparison there to an incident happening in the street and then an incident happening yeah. on the road, there seems to be something very strange about being in a car yeah. um, and, you know, doing these kind of actions and it almost seems like a there's different consequences. No, there isn't. Exactly. Um, so it's, I think it's a you know question about attitude, really. And finally, uh, Ben, do you find that people's driving skills are not as good as they once were? Or at least they're driving a lot more carelessly? I mean, I find I do quite a bit of driving... Um, you know, sort of motorway driving, a bit of dual carriageway driving, A roads and all that. People are very, very lacklustre about paying the rules. People are driving too quickly. They're driving too close to one another. You know, there's an awful lot of sort of idiots out there, it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to look at the most, you know, recent uh, research for um, kind of care, driving carelessness. But I suppose one of the, the big things more recent mm. times has been mobile phones yeah. and um, our kind of over-reliance and, um, you know, we're almost glued to these things. And obviously mm. there are, you know, some really good connectivity and software within cars that enables you to, you know, to, to have phone calls, to access information without looking at your phone. And obviously there's been some harsh harsher penalties now that are coming in in regards to you know points being issued being found on your phone but i think um that seems to be kind of one of the the bigger uh, problems in terms of carelessness on the road um you know aside from tiredness and, and, and other obvious ones no exactly right and also more cameras sometimes mean more trouble because you'll see quite a lot of cyclists now with these helmet cams on and you'll see quite a lot of car drivers and cab drivers certainly uh, with dash cams you know so they're recording everything all the time which sometimes can wind people up yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you often wonder like how many are actually doing that for um for insurance and how many are doing them to yeah. be a famous YouTuber. Just well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I I take one look at uh, one of these cyclists with the helmet cam and I just think, you know, here's a guy looking for trouble because they <laughs> right, always okay. they always are the most kind of aggressive cyclists. Yeah, um I haven't really got an opinion on that, have but you? I suppose um you know, it's like I said with every different type of road user, cyclists, white van drivers, motorcyclists, mm. there is there's good and bad behaviours on, on each side. And we also see there's extremes. There are, you know, cyclists who use London roads on a daily basis yeah. and are, you know, very strong in their opinions um, because they feel as if their their life is being threatened at times. Yes. Um, it's a bad it's a bad place out there, I have to say. But, Ben, thank you very much indeed. Ben Darby, spokesperson from Auto Trader. One in five people uh, currently now uh, in a survey that they've done saying that they've been victims or involved in uh, violent episodes as a result of something that's happened on the road. I find that amazing. I'd like to hear from some of you uh, because you're bound to have stories, things that you've seen, uh, things that may have happened to you or happened to people that you know. And we'd love to hear those stories. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio.
This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. We're asking you for your road rage stories this morning because you're bound to have them. Uh, one in five people out there uh, is reporting in a survey today uh, that they've been involved in some kind of violent altercation as a result uh, of road rage, which is extraordinary in itself. Uh, we're going to talk to David Spencer in a moment, who runs the news department here at Talk Radio. First, though, uh, let's talk to Ryan, who's in the New Forest. Hello, Ryan. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Very well, sir. What do you want to tell us? Um, I, I, I've got a white van. Have I've you? got to be careful with it nowadays. It's sign written, so <laughs> I better uh, better be careful. Yeah, do you know, yeah, I, I drove a white van once uh, because a friend of mine wanted to move a bed from a house in London to a house in Wiltshire. And it was amazing how differently people kind of behaved around me when I was in the white van. They stay out of your way. They do. Seems. Yeah, they yeah, do. They don't, don't want to get hit by no. a white van because we don't care if we take a hit, do we? You know, it's just a dent. We got I also started really driving a lot more kind of aggressively suddenly. <laughs> maybe I've, I've driven one since the start so maybe I'll okay. just drive aggressively full stop I've got nothing right. to gauge it by but um, uh, well it's, I think also, when it comes to roadways I was going to say uh, I feel it's also people um, that don't have respect for each other's agendas or you also, you do possibly have someone who might be uh, driving a bit erratically or a bit fast or possibly trying to cut in the line or something like that yeah. then it normally takes another person stopping them cutting in that line and saying, well, you're not going to drive like that because I'm going to make sure that I'm in charge of this road at this mm. precise moment in time. And yeah. therefore, you have then a standoff that just happens. Right. But it's, um, you know, it, it's, it does take two to tango. I don't think it's very much a, a car a, or automobile assault going on. No. But, oh, it, but you, you, it's, it's easy to get wound up when, you, when you're on your way somewhere or you're trying to do something. And you've got a lot of idiots about. My, my hang-up, is it used to be sort of some cyclists, and now I am a bit of a cyclist myself, but right. I understand why they ride like they do. But some of them, now I can tell the ones that are riding like idiots just to wind up car drivers. And uh, the thing that does me on the way to work in the morning are pedestrian crossings. I leave at like six o'clock in the morning, sometimes right. earlier. There is nothing in front of me for four or five seconds. There's nothing behind me for 10 seconds. Yet I will pull up to a red light where one person will casually walk across it and then because they feel they have to stop the traffic or they're that brain dead, they can't cross the road without being told by a green man. And I have to then unwind my window and ask them if they're an idiot. And it probably <laughs> is wrong of me to do so. <clears throat> but I feel if you can't be basically above the intelligence of the animal and the lowest base joke uh, available to primary school kids and you can't cross a road by yourself um you deserve to be shouted at and then you're supposed to there you go that's my agenda I'm, okay. I'm in a hurry well maybe one day one of them will shout back that's the problem i mean i was telling uh, uh, david spencer who's here with us david very good uh, afternoon to you, uh, you that when mate? i was living in america and i used to go to la quite a lot i was told you know whatever you do don't get in a row with somebody in a car in a traffic jam in los angeles because a lot of them are carrying guns which pretty much uh, that's a good warning sobers you up and you go okay so uh, so then you become a lot more tolerant of everybody else and you just kind of let bygones be bygones. When I was in my 20s, the, the, when I drove my best or I was best behaved yeah. was when I was in a marked car for the radio station I was okay. at because obviously everything would come back to that station. Sure. When I was in uh, my own car in, in, in my 20s, I did have a number of incidents. I've I kind, kind of calmed down since, but right. I still do the thing of if someone is on a phone and they're sort of they, they've cut you up a bit. Yeah. I will do the sort of the phone sign of put the phone down, yeah. and you're sort of saying to yourself, and does that have any effect though? It, it doesn't. It just makes them cross, and mm. you sort of think, what's that got to do mm. with me? Except yeah. that they've annoyed me, and yes. that's when you get confrontation. I've been chased around Slough in, in my car really? by a guy who I did do the sign to mm. when he beeps, and then it sort of started yeah. a, a little bit of altercation in a queue, and I was running low on on petrol at the time, just thinking I, I can't drive forever. Yeah, right. So I ended up at the police station in Slough, oh, really? uh, and pulled 
called up and said to this copper, you know, this guy's been chasing me around. Yeah. And he just, you know, we had this sort of shout out in front of this copper who just mm. sort of thought, you know, a couple of child, you know, sort it out. Just but, get yeah, on with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and I've had a guy... But get, you're right, though, because, I mean, if, if you hadn't done that, I mean, if you, say, for example, had parked somewhere else and he had decided he was going to put one on you, I mean, what are you going to do? Well, and, you know, you, you can't see me, but I'm not a big guy. Yeah. I can't necessarily defend myself. Mm. You mentioned about people can have guns in their cars in yeah. the States, but you can have a baseball bat in yeah. someone's boot. Uh, these days, you have to be very careful. And I've had a guy, I was in driving in Oxford, same kind of initial... Doesn't seem very much, but you beep and then they kind of do the sign to you mm. and you think, hang on a minute, I didn't do anything wrong. You're, right. the, you're in the wrong. He got out of his car, went towards mine, and then I opened my car door because yeah. I thought, I don't want you to damage my car. No, right. And then he took a, a swipe at me. He missed and right. I actually stood back and just sort of laughed a little bit because right. I thought, you've actually tried to punch me and, and missed. Right. And then he's... he's Most par- people are not very good at punching other people. That's well, it's just such a strange thing that you think that's fine yeah. to do that in a queue of cars. Yeah. Everyone looking around thinking, what right. are these two idiots Yeah, what at? are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen people fighting in traffic jams and it does it looks ridiculous uh, but the thing I do see more often probably than anything and particularly in London is that is the altercation between either a pedestrian and a cyclist or a cyclist and you know a, a vehicle driver of one kind or another and there's an awful lot of that going on yeah and I do that I, I there's a, a crossing that I uh, walk every day up from Waterloo to where, where our studios are mm. and cyclists often don't stop at the red light. Yeah. And I just do the point, say, oh, it's a re- there's a red yeah, light yeah. there. Don't you know, yeah. Why do I need to say that? I know. I'm being inflammatory by doing that. But I also think, well, cyclists should abide by the... I've sometimes the- stopped in the road and just made them stop yeah. rather than just keep walking because, they, you know, the cars have stopped. They should stop as well. But the other problem for a lot of people in, in cities is that around here particularly, you can't always see where the stuff is coming from yeah. because, you know, the, the cycle lane is two-way and not a lot of people know that. Uh, sometimes the uh, you know the, the the light says they can go one direction but not the other. Sometimes you just don't know where the lights are. It's very confusing. And cyclists can cause a lot of damage. We mm. know from some of the stories in the yeah. capital over the last two years. Yes, it's it. I wouldn't want to cycle in London with with motorists. I wouldn't want to cycle drive. anywhere near cars. But likewise, you have to be very careful crossing the road because mm. cyclists tend not to. You know, I I think. How often do I see a car go across a red light? I meet maybe once in three weeks of yeah. driving and once a month. Every day I see cyclists go across a yeah. red light. So why is that fine? And it's not as if you're not going to cause mm. any damage if you hit a pedestrian. But the other argument is about the road rage thing. Why do I then need to say something? Yes. It's possibly the, the point. And I think, you know, wh- why is this a, a UK thing? I, I've seen driving in Rome in, uh, across Europe. And, you know, if you've been to Rome, the roads are just mad. Driving in Italy is crazy, yeah. But I don't see that they have those kind of same incidents. Maybe it's just like, this is crazy. Yeah. All of us are in the kind of same it boat. It is kind of anarchistic over there, I think. I think yeah. there's no absolute rules. You just Do we to, get upset about rules? You just, have to, you just have to point your car in the right direction and hope for the best, <laughs> yeah. basically. Close your eyes and yeah. go for it. it. Bit, when I lived in New York, you know, I thought about getting a car at one point. In the end, I never did because it was going to cost more to park it than it was to do anything <laughs> else. It was like half the price of, of what I was paying in rent, you know. But also, you didn't really want a decent-looking car in New York because it was just getting smashed up all the time. And you'd always, I mean, you know, the, 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 the sort of preferred method of parking in America is to is to back into the car that's behind you. <laughs> and when you hit it, then you know you've gone too far. And then you back, sort of bash into the one in front and then you're done. Absolutely. You're pretty much in the right place. But do you not think as well that driving standards have fallen? in this country and there's an awful lot of bad driving being done out there well we we had that discussion after uh prince philip's accident outside mm. sandringham the other week well, his about driving older has certainly people. got worse yeah exactly but i think actually people should be retested 
during their driving career. More often than just at 70 years of age or whatever. Yeah, every 10 years maybe, just as a reminder, even if it's a fact that, you know, I know some colleagues have done advanced driving tests and that that helps you improve your skills, but just a reminder of that skill set would be a a good thing. Mm. Uh, You you say about driving in a a white van, how that sort of changed your behaviour, a little bit more aggressive because of it. I I know when I moved to driving a BMW for a period of time, people used to joke, oh, BMW drivers. I could sense people thinking, he's about to be an idiot and pull out in front of me. So I thought, well, I'm just going to do that as a right. BMW driver. So that's got, obviously how yeah, it works. It's like, it was like Moses and yeah. the sort of the, it, it would mm. part for me and, and you had that sort of you know expectation that you were going to be a bit of an idiot. Yeah. But I think a test more often, a retest during your lifetime would make sense for a lot of people. I don't think it would be a bad idea at all. And they might even make a bit of money out of it. David, thank you very much <laughs> indeed. Jim says, I had a white van driver get out, walk over to my window and spit at me uh, so aggressively his glasses fell onto the passenger seat so I drove off with them. <laughs> that's always a good bit of revenge, isn't it? Thank you very much for that. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.